Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Have we now reached the peak of Reaganism stupidity? The Senate's interviewing Fauci, who, by the way, was saying, no, Trump is wrong. This virus isn't going to just go away. We're stuck with it for a good long time. And also listened to the Supreme Court pleadings where it was really obvious that Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and Alito, in particular, Thomas to some extent, were really trying to blow up the precedent of, uh, you know, the Paula Jones case where the court said, yes, something the president did before he became president. There can be a subpoena in a civil case. And this was the case. And Congress can subpoena him. And the same thing in Nixon. But these Republicans on the Supreme Court, they're like, oh, we don't want to go there. Oh, man. So here's the bottom line. And this is why I asked, are we at now at the peak of Reaganism stupidity? Reagan, in his first inaugural address, his first statement to the nation, said, government is not the solution to your problems. Government is the cause of your problems. And the Republicans took this to heart. I mean, this is why Trump's government, in part, I mean, part of it is obviously Trump's just insane incompetence. But that even though the Obama administration left a handbook, an 87-page handbook, it's literally called the Handbook for Pandemic Response. They left a handbook on how to deal with the pandemic. They had a war game during the transition so that all of Trump's people could be involved in it and understand what's going on about how to respond to a coronavirus. And Donald Trump last night was rage-tweeting, calling all that stuff Obamagate. Honest to God. And Mitch McConnell goes on a radio station this morning and goes, I don't know if uh, the Obama administration didn't leave us anything, and therefore uh, we had a stupid, incoherent response, because we only had three years to get ready for this. And they're really trying to make Obamagate trend on Twitter. And the bottom line is Trump didn't plan for the pandemic because Republicans don't believe the government can do anything right. So why should government plan to do something? Trump's government didn't plan for testing because Republicans believe government can't solve problems. You know, a half dozen cases of coronavirus in Wuhan, China this week have led the Chinese government to this week, over the next seven days, they're going to test 11 million people. They are going to find the virus. They are going to find the people who are still infected. They are going to quarantine them, and they are going to stop this virus dead in its tracks. But we can't test an entire American city, even a little town where there might be a meatpacking plant and 15,000 people, and we can't even test that because Republicans know that government can't solve problems. Government is the problem. Didn't you know? I mean, St. Reagan told us this in, on January 20th, 1981, and it has been the absolute marching orders of Republicans ever since. Government can't solve problems. Government is the problem. 
I suppose if you're Charles Koch, government is the problem. Government is constantly saying, no, you can't, you can't exploit your workers. You can't poison the air. You can't poison the water. I understand it's more profitable. Koch Industries, ExxonMobil, fill in the blank, Dow Chemical. I understand it's more profitable. You can't do it. Oh, well, government is the problem, obviously. We have healthcare workers and hospital workers dying and spreading this infection among their families because hospitals are overwhelmed and don't have personal protective equipment. Why? Because Trump's government never planned to help them out because Republicans know that Americans and American government can't solve problems. You've got to wait for the billionaires to solve problems. They're the only ones who can solve problems. While the unemployment rates in Northern Europe have not gone above 6%, the unemployment rate in Denmark is 5% right now. Because their governments are providing direct relief both to the employers and to the people. Australia is giving every single person in Australia, every single worker in Australia, $3,000 a month, period. Here you go. They're not experiencing an explosion in unemployment in Australia. But we are looking at Great Depression levels of unemployment, over 20%, perhaps even over 30%. The peak of the Great Depression was 25%. We are looking at these levels of unemployment that are going to devastate the lives of an entire generation of Americans. Because Donald Trump and Republicans know that government can't solve problems. Government is the problem, don't you know? Governments prevent billionaires from ripping people off. They prevent banks from ripping you off. They prevent uh, you know, oil companies from polluting the world. They prevent chemical companies from poisoning us. Governments are a problem if you're a billionaire or a business person or a big corporation. That's who Ronald Reagan was speaking on behalf of. That's who George W. Bush was speaking on behalf of. That's who Donald Trump is speaking on behalf of right now. We have an international program. They met last week. An international coalition of countries who are bringing their top scientists and their top businesses in the healthcare field, in the vaccine, to, de to develop a vaccine, to jointly develop a vaccine. The only developed country in the world that chose not to participate was the United States. Why? Because Trump knows that government can't do things right. St. Ronnie was right. It's got to be. We are 4.5% of the world's population. We have a third of the world's coronavirus cases and about a third of the world's deaths. A little less than that. We'll get there. Why? Well, apparently St. Reagan was right. America can't solve problems. American government doesn't work. At least when Republicans are in charge. We need the leadership of good government. And if Donald Trump and the Republican Party can't govern, and they have proven that they can't govern, all they can do is lie and cheat and steal and then try to prevent people from voting. That's their thing, right? This is their thing. This is their new strategy. I mean, new as of <laughs> 1981. Really as of 2000, in a big way. And so in the Supreme Court today, Donald Trump's lawyers go in and say, they didn't use this argument explicitly in the Supreme Court. They did in the lower court before the Supreme Court, that is the case that the Supreme Court is ruling on, that if Donald Trump walked out in front of Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue and started shooting people, that the police could not even stop him from killing more people because he's the president and he's immune. And you've got, at least from what I heard this morning, four Republican justices on the court, Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh, who think that that's, that's God's gospel. Meanwhile, halfway around the world, Australia and New Zealand are putting together what they're calling a travel bubble. This is what happens in those countries where they never bought into the idea that government can't work or can't help. And that only billionaires should be making choices and running things and, and deciding. 
Australia and New Zealand are up to something really extraordinary. This is the Tom Hartman Program. On the line with us is our old friend David Sirota, one of America's best investigative reporters. Previously, he was a senior advisor and speechwriter for Bernie Sanders' campaign for president. His website is sirota.substack.com and his Twitter handle, David Sirota. David has been doing some remarkable stuff. He's got a new newsletter out called Too Much Information, TMI. It's really worth checking out. It really is. David, welcome back to the program. It's been a while. Uh, You've got this new piece about a coronavirus cover-up is already starting. Tell me about this. Sure. So, look, I I think we all have to be on the lookout for the attempts to preemptively stop an inquiry into not only what went wrong generally on the handling of coronavirus, but an inquiry that holds accountable the people who in our government who made, if not incompetent decisions, then malicious decisions. There is an entire ideology out there, best articulated, by the way, by Barack Obama, who famously or infamously said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but we can't look backwards, we always have to look forwards. And that was used to kind of prevent an inquiry into the transgressions of the Bush administration. There was a push for Mm -hmm. an inquiry into the Iraq war lies, et cetera, et cetera. We are seeing the same ideology now coming out of the political class in Washington, coming from Republican political operatives, and even in terms of some legislation from some Democrats. Let me give you some examples. The bailout bill that was passed included very little oversight, One Democratic leader immediately came out and said that the oversight panel of the bailout bill would not be looking back at the actions of the Trump administration in terms of how it mishandled the lead up to the coronavirus crisis. You had Donald Trump himself and his administration undermining almost right out of the gate after that bailout bill was passed, undermining the oversight panel's power to oversee the money that's going out that will be going out from that bill. Well, he did that with a signing statement, too, didn't he? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So, again, it's an attempt to not have us look at what went wrong. You saw there was a a widely circulated op-ed in Washington Post by one of their longtime political reporters who said, you know, maybe we we do need to have a commission that looks into what went wrong, but maybe that commission should be headed by Barack Obama and George W. Bush. Now, the problem with that, of course, is that if you're going to take a serious look at what happened in the lead up to the coronavirus crisis, Donald Trump deserves a lot of blame. But you have to have a systemic look at all the policies that were put in place that made us so vulnerable to this. And, and that means looking at the Bush and Obama administration. And then the most amazing one. Well, I, how, about, how about Clinton giving Bush and Reagan a pass on Iran-Contra, just like Jerry Ford gave Nixon a pass on the treason that he committed blowing up the Vietnam peace talks in 68? Exactly. And what you're alluding to is that there is a tradition in American politics of creating these, under the guise of bipartisanship, creating panels, blue ribbon commissions and the like, which are, which are ostensibly about finding, fact finding, but in practice end up being about a cover up. And all of these calls for, quote, bipartisanship, you have to be on the lookout for, are those calls really designed to try to bury the facts? And I mean, the most amazing one to me was there was a there was an op-ed in the another op-ed in the Post by Mitch Daniels, who was the uh, former uh, governor of, of Indiana, Republican, former Bush administration official, and he's now the president of a of a university in Indiana, and he basically said, you know, when this is over, let's hope that partisanship doesn't dominate our look back. And again, what it alludes to is it's all setting the stage for when this is over, uh, God willing, when it's over, the idea that it would somehow be uncouth, impolite, uh, and hyper-partisan, too partisan, to ever look back and hold accountable the people in the government who have made such disastrous decisions. That's what the, what this is all really setting the stage for, is an effort to make sure that there is no accountability at all. I think the largest part of the frame that is always removed, excised from any news discussion about the United States' response to the coronavirus 
is the fact that there have been more cases of coronavirus discovered in the White House in the last few days than in Hong Kong or Taiwan or South Korea or Australia or New Zealand. Maybe there have been a few more in those countries, but pretty sure New Zealand hasn't had a case in four or five days. Hong Kong has so few new cases that they can no longer calculate R0, you know, the, the transmissibility formula. South Korea has been able to, they had one little outbreak as they've been opening their country back up and they traced it back to, I think it was a wedding or something, it was some sort of a public event. And now they're contact tracing, you know, they're, 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 they're literally spreading out to like 5,000 people to check this out. Other countries around the world have not just bent the curve or flattened the curve, they've crushed the virus. And here in the United States, we're just, well, you know, no problem. As long as it's happening among black people and Hispanics and meatpacking plants and black people in urban areas or, or the black belt of the South or old people in nursing homes who are just sucking up our Social Security and Medicare money that ultimately lead to an increase in taxes on rich people. As long as those are the only people dying, we got no problem with it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we, we've, we've failed to make the choices that we need to make, which is a logical set of choices are, on one hand, we can remain locked down. I'm not saying this is the way I think it should be, but if we're not going to have a serious regime of testing, like actually testing as many people as we can, then we must stay locked down. Or we're going to, quote unquote, reopen the economy, but with an extremely serious and strict set of testing measures to make sure that we are taking this virus seriously. Those would be two at least logical choices. I mean, they're not good choices either way, but we have decided to not make any choices and instead simply say, okay, we're not going to have a lockdown. We're not going to have the testing that other countries have had, and we're going to effectively force people back to work. And that goes beyond incompetence because that doesn't mean something's being mismanaged. That means something's being either unmanaged or actually actively maliciously managed. Because the, the two choices I've laid out, they at least hold some logic to them. Okay, we're not going to test if people are going to stay home. Or we're going to send people back to work or we're going to test. Instead, not doing any of those things, we know what's going to happen. I mean, like, the science is extremely mm. clear about what will happen if and when we do that. And as this begins to migrate into middle-class white America, particularly rural white America, red state America, and it's coming largely through the prisons and the meatpacking plants. I mean, you know, they don't have big airports like New York City does, but it's coming. As that happens, I, you know, I'm hopeful that the conversation is going to change. David Sirota. David, thank you so much. And too much information. TMI is the newsletter. David, is there a website just for the newsletter? Yeah, you can go to my website, davidsirota.com. You'll find it right there. DavidSorota.com. Thank you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. I just want to toss in, apropos of nothing that I've been talking about up to this point, but just kind of a separate question, something that I have been noticing. And I've been talking to friends and neighbors and relatives and whatnot, and everybody seems to be noticing this, which is that... We have been, Louise and I have been in lockdown, as it were. We have been in this house. I mean, you know, we go out for walks and we occasionally drive to some place where we can pick up restaurant food to go. But, you know, outside of that, we be, and, we, and we haven't really seen anybody else. Uh, we've been in this house for two months now. It's May 11th, and I'm pretty sure that March 12th was the day that we started this. I might be off by a day or two, but, but you know, it was right around that time. First week of March, second week of March. And it really struck me last night, Louise and I were talking about how fast time seems to have flown. And I wonder if that's because of the way, some, some little quirk in the way that the human mind processes the passage of time. Is it possible that we process the passage of time, or at least we sort the passage of time, by unique events? If you think of the past, the river of time, as, as like a river, and there are little stones that stick out of it and stick up high enough that you can notice them, right? And those little stones are events. You know, hey, I went to dinner with my kids. I went to the theater. I, I saw this movie. I, you know, we drove up to, up to Seattle and had dinner with somebody or, you know, whatever it may be, right? These are the events that we use as landmarks or uh, milestones to define 
time for ourselves. And when you strip away those events so that every day is pretty much the same as every other day, and you're always in the same place and you're binge watching the same shows and whatever it may be, that time just kind of collapses into just this one amorphous blur. I'm just speculating. I wonder if you're having the same experience. So anyhow, I was talking about Trump having no plan. The plan, and I laid this out to Congressman Khanna in the previous hour, I think it's very straightforward. I think Donald Trump knows that historically, and and almost without exception, presidents get reelected when the economy is good and they don't get reelected when the economy is bad. It is a truism. I can't think of a single exception to it. I'm sure there's one or two out there, but you know, this is the plan. And so he's trying to get the economy back together. The way to do that is to get people back to work. And yeah, some people are going to die, but you know, again, from the Republican point of view, they're going to be old people in nursing homes. They're going to be Hispanic people in meatpacking plants. They're going to be black people in prisons and in poor urban areas. And don't worry, be happy. Now, I think this is, frankly, going to end badly because I think that what Trump is doing by encouraging the second wave of the virus is it's going to start aggressively moving into white rural America. And when it does, there's going to be some real shock unless they can cover it up. You've got several states now that are refusing to release, red states all, refusing to release their COVID statistics or burying them or saying they're confidential or even lying about them. And, you know, Florida, Nebraska, I mean, it's just, it's all over the place. But, you know, their, their basic straightforward plan is no additional unemployment benefits. They, you know, uh, Lindsey Graham has said, we're going to extend that monthly bonus, that $600 a month bonus over my dead body or over our dead bodies. He's speaking for the Republican caucus. No additional stimulus funds. Mitch McConnell is saying, unless you give the corporations of America carte blanche immunity, nobody can sue them forever, not just during the emergency. You're not going to get a penny. Abolish Obamacare. This week, the Trump administration is arguing before the Supreme Court that Obamacare is unconstitutional, and we should go back to the days when your health insurance company could refuse to pay for your claims because they said, oh, that's a pre-existing condition. You have lung cancer now? Well, back when you were 17, you were smoking. They want to cut payroll taxes to wound Social Security so that they can privatize it. And of course, they want to pretend that the pandemic is just no big deal. And the key to the whole thing is to manufacture confusion, to just throw all kinds of stuff into the media hopper and just make people like, what? What's going on here? I don't know. What's going on? Is it bad? Is it not bad? Is it, you know, 80,000 people, 100,000 people dead? Yeah, but who were those people? Oh, it could have been car accidents. More people than that died with the flu. No, well, now we're past the flu, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is their strategy to get people back to work. There was a story in the paper this morning about this ice cream shop that reopened. And I think it was in Georgia, I could be wrong. But this ice cream shop reopened and they were requiring people to socially distance. And one of the people who worked there, it was the owner described her as his best employee, 16 year old girl, quit after the first day because all these Trumpies, these maggot hat people, the people who watch Fox News, listen to Right Wing Hate Radio, were coming in, refusing to wear masks, getting in her face, yelling at her, saying, I'm not going to social distance. You're taking away my freedom. This is grim You're stuff. listening to the Tom Hartman program. Which leads me to my ultimate question. Do you think Donald Trump thinks that a civil war might get him reelected or keep him in office if he loses? Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. 
Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Three children now in New York City have died of coronavirus-related illnesses. Andrew Cuomo said the state government was investigating up to 85 children who may be affected. This is a persistent fever, blotchy rash, abdominal pain, vomiting. It resembles Kawasaki's disease, but three have died. I've kind of informally shared this timeline with you in the past, but I, you know, it, it got explicitly laid out by Adam Serwer in The Atlantic, and it, it comports with the timeline that Sue Nethercutt has been putting together that we've been talking about in this program for weeks now. And that was April 7th was the magic day. Back in March, through the course of the month of March, as it became apparent that we were going from two cases to four cases to eight cases to 16 to, you know, to 50 to 100 to 500 to 1,000, the Trump administration freaked out, right? I mean, they were pulling trucks up to the hospitals in New York, and Governor Cuomo was freaking out. We don't have enough ventilators, and people were dying left and right, all this sort of stuff. And, and Tom Hanks got it, and friend of Donald Trump's. By March 16th, Trump himself and the Republicans were starting to freak out, and he declared a national state of emergency on March 16th and said, OK, everybody, hang out, stay sheltered place, you know, and, and the economy kind of shut down at that point. But a little more than three weeks later, and everybody was on board with this, right? There were no open the economy protests or anything like that. A little more than three weeks later, though, what happens is that the news media on April 7th reported, and it was on the front page of both the New York Times and the Washington Post. It was on all the news shows. It was all over MSNBC and CNN and Fox News that black people were dying disproportionate to white people from COVID-19. That the majority of deaths were either really old people, and I mean really old people, like in their 80s and 90s. Well, you know, is that really? Yeah, 90s, 100s, I don't know. Really, old, old and infirm people were dying. Black people were dying. And poor people were dying. 
and it was like a light switch got thrown. I mean, that those news stories hit arguably the night of April 6th. That would have been, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. You're going to bed, you check your New, your New York Times and your Washington Post. And what you see are basically the stories that are going to be in tomorrow morning's paper. And there it was, black people dying. So what does Rush Limbaugh kick off his show with? If you dare to criticize the mobilization and deal with this, you're going to be immediately tagged a racist. So immediately we're like, oh, we're going to racialize this and we're going to criticize it. Tucker Carlson, that night, April 7th on Fox News, it hasn't been the disaster that we feared. Really? Brit Hume, the news guy, right? Jack Anderson's protege. Here's Brit Hume, the official news guy on Tucker Carlson's show to convey the news. And Brit Hume says, the disease turned out to not be quite as dangerous as we thought. Now, keep in mind, 13,000 Americans were dead at that point. But an absolute minority of them were working class, middle-aged, or younger white people. Very few. Air travel had shut down. You know, there's the, all, all this stuff was going on. And then Tucker Carlson comes out and says, this is mindless, authoritarian, a weird kind of arbitrary fascism. And then, you know, as this continued over the next week or so, and it became more and more obvious that it was people of color who were getting nailed with this thing. What happened? Within two days, within three days of that, Freedom Works, the group that ginned up the Tea Party protests, was starting to talk about opening the economy on their website. You can go back and re you can read their blogs and read their press releases. They actually had a page with how to do a protest, make your signs, you know, homemade. They should say things like this. You should go to the state house. You should go to the governor's mansion. I mean, literally, just like they did with the Tea Party. The billionaire-funded Freedom Works, you know, this group that, you know, that the, the Kochs help found and fund is out there. Now, keep in mind, we've got red states all over the country and you've got the White House and they're all saying, oh, we should just all be, we should just all be getting into the, into the game here. We should all just be opening up right now, right? Reopen the economy. Have they reopened the White House for tours? You know, the governor of, of Georgia, Brian Kemp, we got to reopen Georgia. Have they reopened the governor's offices? Have they reopened the state capitol for tours? People should be getting back to work. Is Brian Kemp out there shaking hands and kissing babies? Is he meeting with the people again? I mean, you and I both know the answer is no. Right? Trump is not out there meeting people. He's not holding rallies. How can, how can he expect us to go to work when he's, not, when he's not even willing to hold a damn rally? And then it gets weirder. It gets weirder. I mean, if now, you know, as a result of these efforts by right-wing hate radio and Freedom Works, now that they're pretty sure that it's not white people who are dying from this, it's mostly black people and old people. You get these protesters showing up going, this is communism. We don't want your shutdown anymore. It's not a pandemic. It's a hoax. It's a hoax. Time to make America great again. Those are literally all chants just from the Boston protest. But now we have dead children in New York, many of them white. Is this going to change? Change the way that these guys are responding to it? Meanwhile, Trump is saying to the meatpacking workers who are predominantly Hispanic the majority Hispanic of the largest minority black people, right? So about a little over half Hispanic, a little over a quarter of them African-Americans. And then you got some poor whites and, you know, a few other people in there. He's saying, executive order, you must go back to work at Smithfield. Smithfield, by the way, is America's largest exporter to China this year from January through March. They shipped 13,680 tons just in the month of March of pork products to China from Smithfield. Smithfield, it turns out, is actually owned by a company called WH Group, which is a Chinese company. 
The Smithfield, Virginia plant reconfigured their plant last year to process hog carcasses for the Chinese market. You got 850 employees at the Smithfield plant in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, sick, 5,000 infections, 20, 20 deaths across the United States among meat workers. And year to date, 31% of U.S. pork has been exported, 838,000 tons. One third of that volume went to China. So Trump is demanding that largely minority workers must go back to work to process hogs for China. And now he's going to build his case on Joe Biden's likes China. This is getting so weird. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Uh, Matt Robinson writing for uh, Alternet a little while ago. He's pointing out uh, Germany has uh, reinstituted their Kurzarbeit program. This is the short work program. If a company lays you off, the federal government of Germany pays your salary. They do it through the company, but they pay your salary. The company can't make money on it. They can't use it for executive salaries. They can't use it for stock buybacks. They didn't make all the stupid mistakes. Well, these aren't actually mistakes that we made here in the United States. These are things that Mitch McConnell wrote in there to help out big corporations and fat cats who fund his campaigns. You know, he's got a serious campaign challenger and Amy McGrath there in Kentucky. And, you know, she may well end up being the next senator from Kentucky. She is great. You know, McConnell is trying to get all the money he can from the usual sources. But anyhow, Matt Robinson also talks about how the U.K. is paying 80% of freelancers' income. You don't have to prove that you had a paycheck. You just have to show that you had income, that you put it in the bank. Just show the bank record. Here you go. 80%. It's the U.K. Japan, they're actually encouraging people to do tourism within Japan because they've largely got the virus under control there. And they're actually giving people travel vouchers and they're covering half the cost of domestic travel in Japan to try and encourage people to get back into the economy. Australia is trying to preserve 120,000 apprenticeship jobs because their economy has not collapsed or crashed. They're paying people $3,000 a month just to be an Australian. Switzerland is fast-tracking relief for small businesses. But here in the United States, nah, it's all cronyism, huge corporations sucking up the money. And now the Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, the Democrats in the House of Representatives, have been for the last couple of weeks working on a new piece of legislation. It'll be over $2 trillion. It'll be larger than the last CARES bill. It'll be called CARES II. Most of its benefits are going to actual small businesses and actual people like you and me. And Mitch McConnell is saying, not going to sign it, not going to go there unless you have something in there that says that for the rest of all time, henceforth now into eternity, a worker or a customer cannot sue a corporation anymore if they're harmed by that corporation. So that's McConnell's line in the sand. Then Trump comes along, he says, I got a line in the sand too. We've got to disable, we've got to cripple Social Security. We got to cut the Social Security tax. Now it's actually an insurance payment if you want to be technically correct about this. But it is called a tax and administered by the IRS. So you've got to cut that Social Security tax to cut the revenue going into Social Security so we can kneecap Social Security the same way back in 2006 we kneecapped the post office. And once you take, you know, I mean, they've taken down there, they're in the process of taking down the post office. Next up, Social Security. The post office goes to FedEx and UPS, who are big donors to political campaigns. Social Security goes to Citibank and Wells Fargo and Bank of America and Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase, big donors to political campaigns. I mean, these guys know what they want. I got a, a note from one of our listeners who lives in Australia. Uh, she has called into the program in the past uh, under the name of Katie, and which is her name. <laughs> 
And she's talking about how uh, everyone in Australia has medical care. Everyone has access to testing and treatment at the hospitals. The hospitals have no shortage of staff, equipment, or PPE. Most of the 97 deaths that the entire country has had are related to cruise ships and nursing homes. The federal government has made available a generous support plan for laid-off workers. All the people in this situation receive two one-time payments of $750 while you wait for your status to be validated. Then you receive $3,000 a month. The fear and rage so prevalent in the U.S. has been avoided so far here in Australia. The contrast, she writes, is heartbreaking. Their prime minister is a conservative Pentecostal. But he's pushing containment and self-isolation on the right-wing media. Because the Australians get it. And because Rupert Murdoch lives in the United States now. She says this bipartisan approach has been inspirational to watch. She says, Louise, you make a good barber, a talent I have acquired. And I want your listeners to know what my experience has been. And to be able to say, I have a friend in Australia, and here's her experience living in a country that spends way more on supporting its citizens than it does on growing billionaires. Brilliant, Katie. Absolutely brilliant. And, and by the way, in Australia, if you show up in the country, you have to be quarantined for 14 days. They put you up in a plush hotel or an island accommodation. Yeah, not too shabby. So, meanwhile, our federal jails are intentionally destroying medical records. This is amazing. The Intercept is reporting on this. Uh, Nick Pinto uh, over at The Intercept writing about this. They're actually trying to hide the records of who's dying from coronavirus, just like DeSantis is in Florida. The Tom Hartman program. Republican policies and Trump's incompetence are killing Americans, 80,000 now, and they're trying to hide it from you. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you and uh, Josh in Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, Josh, what's on your mind today? I just want to let you know that uh, they opened up free public testing in Wisconsin yesterday, and I just got my test done. Really? Tell me about it. Well, there were about 100 cars there, and the line's just kind of cycling. The whole thing took about a half an hour for a wait. Um, I should have used the bathroom first, but the actual mm-hmm. test itself took three seconds. Everything was super smooth. It was like ET, basically. Like, there was no contact at all. Everyone had, like, full-on suits. And, yeah, the entire uh, nostril swab thing took three seconds. Wow. And it didn't hurt? No, not at all. I mean, it's, it's uncomfortable. I wouldn't want to do it every day, but, like, sure. you do it for three seconds, then you never need to think about it. Like, I could have done it myself, yeah. honestly. Um, so when do you get like, your results, like, Josh? Uh, I believe they said two to three days, which is reasonable, I guess. I mean, I, I'd rather just know. And then at this sure. point, like, I wouldn't want to get tested more than, like, you know, once every week or whatever, or, like, once a month. But just getting it done initially so you have a baseline is awesome. And then at least you know. So who's running this and who's paying for it? I believe it's the National Guard. That is what the, the people that I talked to had said. I imagine it's just regular, good old-fashioned Wisconsin taxpayer money. I think it's a great mm. way to spend it, honestly. All right. So this is uh, presumably something Governor Evers helped set up. Yes. Uh, there was an article, I think, that went out a couple of days ago about it. Um, I, I don't know a ton about it, but the experience was really good. And I was wondering if you'd heard about self-administered tests and if that's been made available anywhere. The only self-administered tests that I have heard of being available are not antigen tests. They're not tests looking for the virus or particles of the virus itself. They are antibody tests. They're, they're measuring whether your body has produced antibodies, things to kill a virus. And because the FDA chose not to regulate them when they allowed them into the marketplace, there was something like over 80 manufacturers rolling them out. And many of them don't work or they're very unreliable or they've got lots and lots of false positives, which is a terrible thing because people will think they're immune when they're not. And the right. FDA has now pulled back on that. And, there's, and they're saying to those companies, you have a certain number of days. And I, I'm sorry, I don't know the time period, but it's, you know, it's supposed to be relatively short um, to prove that the test that you're selling actually does some good. So my understanding, Josh, is that they're not ready for prime time yet. I wouldn't buy one. Um, yeah, but, that is too uh, bad. I was probably thinking if you could give those away months, for, they're be all over. Yeah, if you could give those away for free, like at protests, for example, or if you could mail them to people and they could mail them yeah. into testing centers, that would be a great way to preserve the postal service. Just 
say, I'll give you. Yeah, when they get them, when they get them really straightforward, where it's like a pregnancy test, where you put a little drop of blood or a little drop of saliva on the thing, and you wait 15 minutes, and it either the line either turns purple or blue or red or whatever, then I think that we're going to be way down the road. And and frankly, I think that you know by this fall we'll probably be there. I mean, that's just you know capitalism is capable of responding to opportunities in a fairly quick fashion, and that's what we're seeing happen right now. You know, the the Trump administration put their faith in the capital markets rather than allowing government to do this. So we're months behind, but there will be a robust response, you know, as there is around the world. Other, other companies are allowing their companies to do this too. Josh, thanks for sharing your story with us. It's fascinating to hear and good news, uh, you know, for folks uh, living in Wisconsin. That's, that's so cool. Mark in Sauk City, Wisconsin, another Wisconsin call. Hey, Mark, what's up? Yeah, it, it just it just strikes me as, as ironic that, you know, considering that Ann Rand got her started writing, you know, working for the WPA, because back in the WPA days, they're actually paying for artists and writers and all sorts of other stuff, you know, to keep the economy going. And the, Did she get, I didn't, her, I didn't remember that. She got a WPA grant to be a writer? No, she was, I guess she was working, she did WPA work back in the day, as, as I think I read that at some point in time. Huh. That, yeah. but, I, but I do know that at the end of her wretched life, she relied on, you know, Medicare and Social Security to you know, to survive on, and that considering that, right. you know, so supposedly she shouldn't have needed that because she was, you know, not a, she was a maker rather than a taker. And as far as I know, she made some some ridiculous, you know, you know, novels where the guys that were successful were rich when they started out. Well, of course they're going to be successful. I mean, of mm-hmm. course your fictional character will turn out to be successful if you write it like that. And it strikes me, you know, that you're making the point here, and I, I turn back to Hamilton again, Closed his Federalist Papers, and this is these are a couple sentences a, a bit apart. But a nation without a national government, in my view, is an awful spectacle. And that he she, he ends it with, I know that powerful individuals in this and other states are enemies of the to a general national government in every possible shape. And these people are actually enemies of the republic. I mean, the guys that are wow. running which this, Federalist this show, Papers is that from? That's eighty five. That's that's how he closes up the Federalist Paper. I mean wow. that uh, you know that and, and he is just prescient in in what he wrote there is is that they are enemies of the republic. I mean, parents. Yeah. I, I've said this on this program before. I think and on other programs, but that is simply it's got to be drilled into people's heads. I mean that yeah. these guys are enemies of of our of our, of our country. Yeah, and Trump likes to call the press the enemy of the people. Uh, you know he. He is the real representative of the enemy of democracy itself. It's so unfortunate. Mark, thank you for that. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be looking up Federalist 85 here when we get off the air. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. This disease really kicks your ass. I mean, there are reports all over. Now we've got some 60 kids in New York who are, you know, they don't have the respiratory symptoms. Instead, they're coming down with blood clotting and and, uh, all sorts of weird stuff going on with these children. Brand new syndrome, right? Meanwhile, here in Oregon, the first person to test positive for the coronavirus He was a school custodian. He's 46 years old, Hector Calderon. He works at the Forest Hills Elementary School in Lake Oswego, which is literally right down the road from uh, where one of my kids and and their kids lives. He had symptoms on February 19th. He was the second patient in the country known to have gotten this through community spread, meaning it was floating around in the Lake Oswego, southern Portland area at the time. That was February 28th. He had his first symptoms on February 19th. I think way back to February 19th. I mean, we were just, you know, I was still traveling on my, uh, on my book tour, I believe, on February 19th. And uh, he was also one of the first people to be treated with remdesivir, you know, the antiviral that is all the rage right now. But he was on a ventilator for like a month, and he got out of the hospital yesterday. His symptoms started February 19th. 
And by March 19th, he was unconscious and on a ventilator. And now, and then April 19th, still in the hospital. And here we are, May 7th, he's finally out of the hospital. But he still requires oxygen just to get around. Um, he's so weakened and so whacked by this. And when you look at the U.S. numbers, you know, we have uh, in the neighborhood of 1.3 million cases in the United States, act, you know, known cases of this virus. We have 205,000 people who've recovered because it takes 30, 60 days. I mean, it's a month or two that you're down. It's just it's this 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 disease is just a it just absolutely will kick your ass. And you need to be very, very careful about this thing. Meanwhile, a woman, you know, back to the, the grifters and the very fine people, Donald Trump's very fine people. In Oklahoma City, a, uh, a woman walked into a McDonald's, wanted to buy a burger and sit down and eat it. The guy said, sorry, you got to take it with you. You can't eat here in our restaurant because, you know, it's been closed. She pulls out a gun. This from KFOR News in Oklahoma City. One employee was hit in the arm, second was hit with shrapnel in the neck and shoulder, and a third employee was hit with shrapnel in the side. Two of those employees are 16 years old. They're all taken to the hospital. She was upset because she couldn't eat in the dining room. I'm telling you, there's, there's like, you know, it might be just one of those crazy people who's constantly upset and always involved in road rage incidents and things. And finally, she popped in a way that she got arrested. Or it could be, and this is, you know, I was talking about this day before yesterday about, you know, this kind of deep-seated anxieties that, that manifests itself as rage that, you know, is bubbling up to the surface from time to time, did with me the day that this guy with his dogs was chasing our geese and all this kind of stuff. So... Anyway, this poll just came out. Why do you think this is? There was a recent poll from one of the big national polling companies that found that when they asked if a coronavirus vaccine is developed, will you take the vaccine? Now, there's always a small baseline of people who are immune compromised, who have severe chronic illnesses, things like lupus or MS or, you know, I mean, there's just a whole variety of diseases where you just don't get vaccines unless you're very, very careful about which vaccine you're getting and when you're getting it, because, you know, your immune system is always already screwy and you don't want to make it even screwier. And there's a, there's a baseline of people who are on all these immunosuppressive drugs that basically do to our body what parasites used to do to our body back when we had parasites prior to the 1960s, which was, uh, you know, downregulate our immune systems uh, so that we don't get things like plaque psoriasis and, and, and stuff like that. All of those people would have to be a little wary about a vaccine and talk to their doctor first. So if you ask one of those folks, you know, are you going to do a vi the vaccine when it comes out? Uh, they would probably say no, or at least not initially. So you probably have like at least 5% of the population that really shouldn't take the vaccine. Or if they do, they should, you know, be under a doctor's supervision for a few days to see if they get a bad reaction because of their medical condition. So when they asked people, are you going to take the vaccine? Sure enough, there were 7% of, of Democrats who said, uh, probably not. And I'm guessing that of that 7% of Democrats, 95% of them fall into the categories that I just described. But when they asked Republicans, will you take the vaccine? And there's no difference that I know of in the number of Republicans versus Democrats who have, you know, Crohn's disease and are on immunosuppressive drugs or, you know, uh, organ transplant, uh, you know, uh, people with immunosuppressive drugs or whatever, you know, who shouldn't take vaccines or at least shouldn't do them without a careful supervision by a doctor. Um, I don't think there's more Republicans than Democrats in that category. But when they asked Republicans, will you take the vaccine? One out of five said no. 20%. Well, why would that be? Is it that Republicans tend to be that among the hardcore evangelicals who believe that the world is only 6,000 years old, that people used to ride dinosaurs, the world is going to end when, when there's a war in the Middle East and the temple is re-erected in Jerusalem, you know, 144,000 Jews will convert to Christianity and be the only survivors and the rapture is going to happen. And science is all nonsense and you can't trust scientists. You can't believe scientists because they're trying to tell us to abandon our faith and, and believe that the world's not 6,000 years old. It's actually, you know, 5 billion years old, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got those folks. 
But a lot of those folks are vaccinating their kids. They may say they don't believe in science, but they don't want their kids to get measles or mumps or whooping cough or rubella or I guess that's measles or uh, chicken pox or whatever it may be. I mean, you know, or encephalitis, fill in the blank. So, you know, there's some of those folks. you got some of the anti-vaxxers are probably falling into that category also. But I'm guessing that it has more to do with the fact that the guy with the biggest microphone on the planet, kudos to the Dartigan community for, for coming up with this, that the guy with the biggest, over on Daily Kos, with the biggest megaphone on the planet, spent all of January and all of February and the first couple of weeks of March telling us it's a hoax, it's going to go away, you had Fox News personalities like Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson. Oh, it's just like the cold. Uh, Laura, Laura, you know, all just this this giant megaphone of there's nothing to see here. There's no there there. You only have the infection in the cities where there's a lot of black people. This is, you know, the subtext of their message. And it's only old people and black people and poor people who get sick with this. And you're not any of those things. You're the white middle class. You don't have to worry. You know, it's going to be just fine. You know, Chris Cuomo got through it. Or this idiot in uh, Ohio, uh, Representative Nito Vitale. He said, this is not the entire world. This is the greatest nation on earth, founded on Judeo-Christian principles. One, in other words, the entire world is you know, sheltering in place. We shouldn't. He's wearing masks. He says, one of those principles is that we are all created in the image and likeness of God, and that image is seen the most by our face, and I will not wear a mask. Right? I mean, this is, you know, and some of these people, like I said earlier in the last hour, I'm predicting that within a week or two, you're going to see some of these conservatives asserting to people with masks that they are liberals and they are wimps. People wearing masks are going to become the object of harassment. Corky in Rochester, New York. Hey, Corky, what's up? Is there anything in a pipeline for these vaccines yet? There are uh, a little more than 80 different vaccine trials going on in various countries all around the all, all around the world. I think there's three or four of them going on in the United States. Um, they range from, you know, novel new types of vaccines that have literally never been tried. Um, uh, you know, vaccines that stimulate the, the body's immune system to produce antibodies um, to specific parts of the virus. And they're picking different parts of the virus for different studies. But the simple and kind of unfortunate fact is that no one has ever successfully developed a vaccine for a coronavirus. We don't have one for the common cold. We don't have one for SARS. We don't have one for MERS. And we don't have one for this virus. So I'm not holding my breath, Corky. I told you once before, these things are going to keep coming out like freight trains from the Arctic Mountain. That's it. Yeah. Wait, we all been hearing for years. Be careful about the Arctic Mountain. Well, guess what? There was a lot of those virus, I believe, frozen in the Arctic Mountain. I don't think it's the Arctic Melt so much, Quirky, as it is that our human population when I was born, there were only three. Actually, there were two and a half billion people on the planet the year that I was born. And there are seven billion now. So as we increase our population, we spread into areas where humans weren't before, like bat caves. Uh, these bats apparently came from a, from a cave 700 miles from Wuhan. So somebody has been collecting these things and trading in them. And uh, that's problematic. Sarah in Long Beach, California. Hey, Sarah, what's on your mind today? Thanks for listening to KPF. Yeah, Mark, I think it would be a great idea. I wanted to switch over just to paying off the student loan debt uh, quickly. If we could get maybe an agreement between our Department of Education, either statewide in California, your state, or at the national level, which I don't think that's possible right now, but going back to the state level, if we could get an 800 number and a collaboration between maybe our Department of Education or or finance and tax department to where the patriotic millionaires and billionaires and other millionaires, there's so many, that they could just call in, pay off the student debt, and invest that money through the people into the economy. We could well, here's a mind-boggling factoid, Sarah. 
$1.7 trillion tax cut that Donald Trump back in 2017 gave to billionaires and big corporations, that's more money than all student debt in the United States combined. And in one year, he gave away that amount of money to billionaires. I know. And had he paid off everybody's student debt in this country, that would be a huge stimulus for the United States. People able to go back to work, people able to start their own businesses. Just so quickly, it would happen overnight, Tom, overnight, people would go back to work. I agree. I agree, Sarah. And people would be able, you know, right now they, they feel like they can't start a family, they can't buy a house, they can't, they can't start a small business because they have this huge overhang of student debt. All that would be gone. John in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Hey, John, what's up? This whole theory that this is a big hoax, if this is such a hoax, why is the White House all being tested every day? Right. Well, and that's the only way to be safe is to be tested every day. And, the, you know, the White House is showing us the way. I never thought I'd, heard, I'd say those words. But, yeah, I'm with you. Brilliant. A brilliant uh, observation. Thank you. Lori in Portland. Lori, you got the last minute. What's up? Random testing in Corvallis, Oregon. They've been doing it for mm-hmm. three weeks. They're on their fourth week next week. And they've been finding just going to people's homes and doing a random test that about every two out of a thousand are coming up positive. And these are people hmm. that don't know. So that's to say what you were talking on earlier is people are walking around not knowing it. And one of the interesting things is that they are breaking it down by zip code. And so you get to see where in the zip code, how many cases are basically in your neighborhood, which I think is really good because I think it brings it home to people that, hmm. wow, I have my name. Where is that published, only, Lori? I'd love to look it up. It is in the Gazette, Corvallis Gazette Times. Corvallis Gazette It's really Times. Corvallis Gazette Times, yeah. I'll check it out. And they're, yeah, they're trying to get funding to do the antibody test next. That would be great. And find out how many people have have had it and doesn't even realize it. Lori, thank you. Thanks for the heads up on that. I'll check it out. This is a great experiment that is being funded right here in in Oregon by the governor's office, I believe. I saw a press release from Kate Brown about this a week or so ago. Anyhow, thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. And it also requires an informed electorate. So tell people how they can find progressive media. You know, please tag your it. I'll see you tomorrow. Have a wonderful afternoon. Be good to yourself. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.